0: The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Roger's News.
1: Whether it was a strong economic cycle or a challenged economic cycle, beauty has consistently performed pretty well. And I think the reason why is it's such a great category for consumers to express themselves.
0: That was Terang Amin, the CEO of Elf Beauty on the future of the cosmetics industry. Welcome back to The Exchange, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views that explores the big questions on the minds of business leaders and governments. I'm Anita Ramaswamy, coming to you from New York. Beauty is big business, and even as shoppers across the globe have been slowing their spending on other products, beauty has been pretty resilient. It's a phenomenon so strong that it's garnered a name, the lipstick effect. That's the idea that when facing economic hardship, Even when people cut back on other more expensive luxuries, they still tend to spend more on beauty and skincare products. I zoomed in with the CEO of Elf Beauty, Tarang Amin. Before joining Elf in 2014 as CEO, Amin spent decades in the consumer space, from stints at P&G and Clorox to selling a publicly traded nutritional supplements company to It Benkiser. So he sat down with me to chat about what makes beauty shoppers tick and how it's different from all the other consumer segments out there. Welcome, Tarang. It's great to have you on the show. And I'm really excited to chat with you today about a topic that I think a lot of people have some experience with and some interaction with, which is the beauty business. The industry generated $430 billion in revenue just last year alone. And I've seen some recent data that, that suggests that it's one of the only segments in retail this year that has actually been able to grow the number of units sold. And, you know, shoppers are really worried across retail. We hear all these conversations about rising inflation and consumers are spending less. I mean, why do you think beauty has been a relative exception to that rule?
1: Well, first of all, Anita, thank you for having me. It's great to be on. Uh, You know, I've been in the consumer space over 32 years. I've worked pretty much every major consumables category. And beauty's always been my favorite. And part of the reason why it's been my favorite, it's always performed really well. Whether it was a strong economic cycle or a challenged economic cycle, beauty is consistently perform pretty well. And I think the reason why is it's such a great category for consumers to express themselves. And certainly there's a lot of pent up demand after all of the pandemic restrictions. So I see you're definitely seeing that strength in terms of consumers and their desire to get out and express themselves and beauty benefits from that.
0: You know, we've seen this trend over the past couple of years unfold. And I think it's really been unfolding ever since you took over at Elf in 2014 of technology and social media changing the way that people buy beauty products. What sort of shifts have you seen? I mean, how has tech really changed the way this business operates?
1: Well, you know, Elf has always been a digitally native company. So we started 20 years ago selling cosmetics over the internet for a dollar. Everyone thought the company was crazy. You couldn't sell cosmetics over the internet, certainly couldn't make money selling a dollar. And while we've migrated to other channels, I would say digital has always been our main approach in terms of how we engage consumers. And we've seen that level of engagement just go up over the years. So not only is our digital business doing really well, but you know, we're also one of the pioneers on a number of we have a fundamental test and learn approach. So we've seen our, we were one of the first brands on TikTok, one of the first brands on Twitch, on Be Real, on Threads, and we see that constant trying and testing and learning and really meeting our consumers where they are has been a successful approach and we will continue to do that.
0: I think over the, the long arc of the beauty industry existing, I mean, we've seen some trends sort of converge, like, you know, women have increased purchasing power and we've seen the rise of influencer marketing and Elf has been pretty well positioned to, to take advantage of a lot of those trends. I mean, can you just talk to me a little bit about sort of the shifts that you've seen, you know, since you have a background previously in other consumer products, and then shifting to beauty, how do those differ? How does how is beauty sort of the exception amongst the rest of retail and consumer?
1: Well, I think beauty is particularly well positioned for people to express themselves. So it really lends itself well to a lot of these social platforms where you can share through social kind of how you're looking, your tips, the products that you're discovering. And so we see it as a great vehicle for consumers to connect and build community. And uh, I think it particularly lends itself well to that than other categories might. And we very much have continued to see that migration both online and through social.
0: So you made, you know, a a pretty bold decision back in 2019, and you closed down all of Elf's branded stores, and you decided that you're going to focus on selling in big retailers like the Targets and the Walmarts of the world, as well as online. How much of your sales are coming from online?
1: Yeah. So our digital business is up gosh, triple digits. It's about 17% of our total penetration as a business. And uh, the rest is big national retailers, as you mentioned. But the great news for Elf is we're seeing growth across every channel and every customer in which we compete. I think it really goes back to fundamentally the value equation that we're able to deliver our innovation, our ability in our marketing engine to engage consumers. So we've seen real success both digitally and offline.
0: I do want to talk a little bit about your marketing but we'll get to that in, in just a bit i think first i want to ask you about a bigger question that's been on my mind you know i've been following beauty brands for a little while and i covered recently the ipo of oddity tech which has done pretty well that's a, another beauty business and they are focused on you know the tech portion of things they use ai and that's sort of their focus and so i'm curious you know as a beauty buyer myself, I wonder if we'll ever see a world where people are buying beauty products mostly online or exclusively online. Do you think that that customers will ever be ready for that?
1: You know, I don't I don't think it'll ever be a hundred percent online. I think digital penetration should continue to rise, just given how well this category does with that. And as I mentioned, we're having great success digitally, but I think there's a role for retail in this category. And if you think of our strategy, which is giving the best of making the best of beauty accessible to every eye, lip and face, there's definitely a role for retail. And we happen to be, because of our strategy, in some of the best retailers there are for beauty, Target, Ulta Beauty, Walmart, drugstores. So I think there's a role for both. And what we found is we bring everyone first and foremost to our digital channels, whether it be our website, from an e-commerce standpoint or through social. And we see that that actually also benefits uh, retail customers. And having that level of kind of breadth and availability, we feel is important uh, beyond just being able to get it online.
0: ALF has definitely, you've been around for a while and have posted, you know, 18 quarters of revenue growth, I think is, is the number. And that's really impressive and I'm wondering in such a competitive space, you know, it seems like you've been really able to cut through the noise on TikTok and on social platforms and every brand is trying to do that. I mean, what is it that you have done in the past and are going to do in the future to make sure that it's not just uh, a fleeting trend, you know, you're not just going viral once or twice, but this is a consistent strategy.
1: I think there's a few things. I think, first of all, we meet our customers where they are. So we take a look at where is, you know, where the number one brand amongst Gen Z, amongst teens, where are they hanging out? We want to hang out with them. We want to engage with them in an authentic way. And it's one of the reasons why we're always testing and learning and trying new platforms. And also, I think our overall proposition really speaks to them. Having these incredible products that these incredible values and our ability to authentically connect is one of the things that really propels our business.
0: One of the things I find really interesting about Elf's success, and you've had great success over the past, you know, couple of years, is that you know I, I've been reading some research from McKinsey, talking to different industry experts, and it seems like the real growth is going to come from the higher end, more premium beauty products, whereas Elf is really playing in the mass beauty space. So, I, I would love to hear how you how you're seeing that in the future, and why you think Elf has been able to sustain this level of growth when mass beauty doesn't seem to be where the consumers are going these days?
1: Well, I mean, I think consumers are going both to prestige and mass. They both have pretty good growth rates. But if you look at our growth, it's been well in excess of both prestige and mass. As you mentioned, 18 consecutive quarters of more than 20% growth each quarter. And the real secret of that We're giving the consumer a proposition where they don't have to trade off. They might want something in the prestige area, but they can't afford it. Well, we're giving that prestige level quality these incredible values, and that really resonates. In addition to that, we continue to build these growing franchises. So when we launched our Putty Primer franchise, every time we introduce a new member of that Putty franchise, the entire franchise grows. The same is true with our Halo Glow line our power grip line everyone our camo uh franchise each one of these franchises build upon each other and at their heart what they do we call them our holy grails what these holy grails do is give you that prestige quality at these incredible values so we're in the best of both worlds where you can get that prestige quality and you can get at this incredible value and i think that's been the core of our success
0: in terms of just the the premiumization though i mean the margin in the beauty business typically comes from just markup and marketing, right? Like it's not it's not necessarily that there's such a huge difference in the quality between prestige versus mass products.
1: Well, I think that's been the real insight from our founders from the very beginning. They couldn't understand why some of the prestige products cost so much when a lot of the componentry standardized formulations or the ingredients have been around for decades. And so the real insight we had was how do you give consumers a much better value, but that premium quality. And I think sometimes there's a trade-off. Some some brands might have come in at an inexpensive price, but the quality just wasn't there. And some of the high-quality brands were at such high price points that, um they weren't accessible. You know, I'll give you a great example. I talked about our putty franchise, our uh poreless putty uh primer, uh yeah, that viral right? TikTok yeah.
0: product.
1: <laughs> it was a viral and I think one of the things that made it a viral product is before we introduced that product, the only product like that in the market was a 56 dollars prestige item and we've tracked that item over time so when consumers saw that ours was ten dollars and you know many considered even better than the prestige product it lent itself to being a viral sensation everybody wanted to get online and just talk about how great this was people were doing side-by-side comparisons and it really had took off a life of its own well the great thing about our our model is we help expand the category because we've kept tracking that prestige item. It's a great item, $56. We sell nine times the number of units as that prestige item because there are a lot of people who just can't afford a $56 uh, primer. But it's, it's certainly the milk for $10, one. you can get it. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um,
1: uh, that that particular one, I think, was uh, to Silk Canvas was the inspiration on oh, that I particular see. one. And then our putty primer, when we introduce it at $10, I mean, people just can't get enough of it. And then, you know, we can replicate that success. Our power grip primer is not only the number one primer in both Prestige and Mass, but it's the number one SKU in all of Mass Cosmetics. And again, a key insight of Prestige quality, many would say it's even better than a Prestige item, but at an incredible price point of $10.
0: I think we chatted a little bit about this, you know, last time we spoke Tarang, but I... For for the listeners here, I wanted to ask about IP in the beauty space and where these formulations are coming from. Because as someone who's you know spent a lot of time looking at the tech business and looking at all these other businesses that are very focused on patents, it seems to me that what you're sort of doing of you know duping these more premium, higher end products could get messy in in other industries. So how is how has that been a sustainable strategy in in, in what Elf has been doing?
1: Well, I think the most important thing is uh, we're not a dupe brand because we always put our e.l.f. twist on. You know, I'll go back to our original primers. There was a Prestige Inspiration that was in a tube. We put ours in an air pump. Our formulation was different. We really look and kind of engineer them to be ideally better, and at these incredible values. So I think that's the real secret. And in terms of IP, there's less IP in the beauty industry than um, some of the other industries. And I think, again, that goes back to that core insight of these are ingredient bases been around. So the real power comes from, I think, two things, your ability and understanding of the core insights and how you formulate all of our labs. Our labs are co-located in our main facility. We do our own formulation. And then how we partner with other suppliers to really drive the best combination of cost, quality, and speed. And so I think that's a real the real secret is not necessarily being able to achieve that quality but being able to do it at these extraordinary prices and then have a model that engages with consumers where they can discover them.
0: I'm also pretty struck by, you know, some of the data that I've seen on elf products selling better than, you know, other brands in Target and in Walmart and in some of those retailers. What do you think has contributed to that relative success in terms of, you know, that those retailers are seeing lower foot traffic, not not necessarily the, the two that I mentioned, but across the board? Why is it that you know the Elf product is is standing out on the shelf?
1: Well, I think consumers recognize you can have that prestige quality, these great prices. Um, I'll give Target's a great example. Target was our first national retail customer. We're now the number one brand. Target carries across all of Color Cosmetics by a pretty wide margin. And if you look at how we've done that, we've done that by being able to grow consistently year after year after year. So it's not just the quality of the products at these values, but we've also had a real focus on productivity. I think too often uh, brands just try to proliferate their brand in as many retailers as they can or get as much space as they can. And our model is really, how do you have the best productivity? And when I say productivity, it's Dollars per linear foot of sales. We have the strongest productivity at Target, at Walmart, across a number of different customers because we really focus on it each year. Every year we go and we proactively take off almost 25% of the SKUs a retailer will carry because we have insights from our own digital business on what will sell better, which ones have higher reviews. And so we proactively do it and we've been able to sustain incredibly strong comp growth. You know, I mentioned And one of our recent earnings calls recently at Ulta Beauty last year, we grew that business over 70% without any additional space. So it really talks to the strength of our unique model of being really taking the insights we're getting from our digital business and being able to apply them to the shelf and through better visual merchandising and really have very good support with these customers, given that growth rate, the innovation we have. And also, really importantly, the consumer we pull. You know, we tend to uh, skew younger, both. We're the number one brand amongst teens. We're growing amongst millennials. If you take a look at kind of what really is driving that ability to engage them, they recognize the quality of these products, what we can do with social to really almost entertain them in a way that really builds that love for the brand. And you definitely see that translate in store.
0: We've seen some other high profile, sort of viral, buzzy beauty brands, you know, succeed for a couple of years and and get really hot. I mean, Glossier is one of one that I'm thinking of. I know that they're more of a they started out with D 2 C and now they're pivoting back into retail, which is kind of interesting. So I would love to hear a little more context around your decision to shut down the elf branded stores and just a little more how you're thinking through where the future of beauty shopping is gonna go.
1: Yeah. So for us, I mean, we we had 26. Retail stores and the decision to shut them down really came from looking at our business and where we wanted to focus. As a digitally native brand, that's where we always want to focus first. And we saw tons of opportunity of what we could do digitally. And then, you know, we're in over 29,000 doors if you add up all of our uh, national retail customers. So as we looked at the choice for us, having our own boutiques while they served one role were really minor relative to the focus and the reach we could get digitally as well as through these national retailers so for us that was a choice we made i know other brands may make other choices but for the value we had and and that choice ended up being a really good one because the money that we we're spending on our our 26 stores we we're able to redeploy to our digital business that accelerated our digital business and really helped drive our business in national retailers as well so for us it was really a choice on focus and really making sure we did what we do best
0: can you talk to me a little about how you've managed to cut through the noise on, on different social platforms? Yeah. You know, there's I think so many so- new ones popping up all the time. Like, there's all this controversy with Twitter. There's, is TikTok going to get banned? Are they not going to get banned? And, you know, it's a lot to keep yeah, well,
1: up with. Yeah, well, I think, I think it's that approach. Being a digitally native brand, we're always testing and learning. So I remember a few years ago my CMO came to me and said, you know, we need to be on TikTok because that's where Gen Z is. And at that time, there were no beauty brands on TikTok. And I said, well, if that's where Gen Z is, we absolutely have to be there. What's TikTok? Um, and, (laughs) And we approach each of these platforms with a great deal of humility. And so instead of just going and trying to do some kind of brand ad on TikTok, we... We observed what were consumers doing. We saw, you know, they're really engaging on the platform with a lot of music, a lot of dance, a lot of having fun. So we commissioned our own song. We're the first ones to have kind of our own hashtag song uh, song for a challenge, and we saw, I think, two billion views on that. And we said, okay, we're doing something that's resonating with this community, and we kept going. By the time others started, you know, copying us by having their own song, we were already working with Simon Fuller to uh, promote a band they created on TikTok through TikTok and we did a hashtag challenge to find a makeup artist that would go with that band. I think we got 15 billion views. Uh, uh, another thing that we saw was, you know, a lot of our community are gamers. So it was one of the things that led us to Twitch with our own channel. And what you end up doing, that led us to go further and we ended up doing kind of uh, Gamers Got Talent on, on TikTok as well. And so so we're always having fun and doing things that are unexpected. Uh, you know, you talking about TikTok. I remember at the time we said, what other brands are killing it on TikTok? And we looked around, this was a few years ago, and we saw, wow, Chipotle is doing a lot of really interesting things on Chipotle. Yeah. So we connected with Chipotle, we did a brand-on-brand collaboration. Uh, they call their food stand kind of their palette, and we said, you know, that's that's interesting. That looks kind of like an eyeshadow palette. So we created a limited edition eyeshadow palette. A few other products that sold out in a number a of AAA minutes. A- got us, yeah, got us something like that's four smart. billion impressions. We followed that up with uh, collaboration with Duncan, uh, where that collaboration got us five billion impressions. Just this past summer, we did one with American Eagle, seven billion impressions, and there's these unexpected ways of which we're where we're engaging with consumers in ways that really not only get their attention, but they see. I mean they the internet blew up when they saw, oh my gosh, these are two brands I love and they're coming together. So we're always looking to find different ways. But I think the important thing is we're doing things that are native to the platform. So our approach on TikTok is quite different than when we went on Twitch, we had our own channel, our Elf channel, and that was a great way on Twitch to kind of engage there. We partnered with Lufu, the world's second most popular female gamer on a female empowerment platform. Uh, So each platform we go to, we really try to approach it in a unique way that speaks to our community and gets them to engage with us.
0: What's the hurdle for um, joining a a new platform? I mean, I've been hearing about all of these different ones popping up recently, like not only alternatives to Twitter, but then the video streaming alternatives, like there's Triller, there's, you know, all all these other video platforms. Like how do you decide that you're going to actually go after one?
1: Well, I think what we decide, we decide, uh, we're going to test and learn like so when we when threads came out we're one of the first beauty brands on threads we don't know where that's going to take us but let's say let's get us let's get a start we'll learn something and we're constantly learning and that's how we approach it and then we build from there i gave you kind of our tiktok example we're building on twitch we're building on these various platforms so i think this mentality of constantly testing and learning seeing what's working and then doubling down on the things that we see have resonance uh has been a successful formula for us
0: We've talked a lot about the marketing and the consumer-facing work that you do, but I do want to talk a little bit about the behind-the-scenes, specifically the supply chain. You know, I've been reading about this company, THG, in the UK. They they do this end-to-end sort of e-commerce service model where they're providing those services to third parties. And when I'm thinking about Elf's business, I mean, it seems that you have this pretty strong network of suppliers and manufacturers just part of the reason that you're able to keep costs low, I, I imagine. Have you ever thought about acquiring them or, you know, selling out those capabilities to other brands or sort of expanding the suite of services that you're offering in that way?
1: You know, we we haven't thought about that as much, mainly because we have a real area of advantage that fits our overall business model. So I'll explain that a little bit more. So we are unique in terms of the way we're set up with our suppliers, uh, where we pick like-minded suppliers, but it's our quality people in their facilities. It's our lean manufacturing techniques. It's our formulations and the way we work with them that gives us that combination of cost, quality, and speed. But it's not just the advantage we have on supply chain. That supply chain is really well integrated with our innovation model, where uh, we can offer these holy grail franchises at these incredible values, which is also integrated with our market Marketing approach, and then fundamentally with our team. So while you can take one aspect of that and say, hey, can we sell this on other brands and other services? We don't feel as, as, a, as powerful as when you can put all of that together in an area that really drives real advantage. And you know that supply chain for us has been highly resilient. If you look at our growth rates, many supply chains couldn't keep up with the level of growth we have. And we've been able to maintain very strong customer in stock levels, mainly because they're laser focused on continuing to drive those advantages.
0: How many SKUs do you have at any given time, you know, compared to let's say like another major mass beauty company?
1: Yeah, so I'd say, you know, in total if you went online, you'd probably find about 900 SKUs, which is, you know, comparable to other companies, maybe less than some of the some of the bigger companies that might have like 20,000 SKUs across their various brands. But if you then went into retail, if you went into a Target, on average, we have like the top 150 to 250 SKUs. So it's a pretty curated line that really is focused on that productivity. So you kind of have the best of both worlds. You have online the entire shade variation, every skincare product we sell. And then in national retailers, you have some of those kind of best-selling items that that serves us well in terms of having both that, breadth in terms of our coverage, but also having kind of the depth in terms of uh, shades and being uh, quite inclusive online.
0: And what about phasing out products? I mean, people have their favorites and they want to keep using the same thing over and over again. Do you kind of focus more on the loyalty or do you focus more on introducing new and innovative products?
1: Well, you know, the great news for us is in the nine years, over nine and a half years I've been CEO, our SKU count is pretty stable. So we're very good about proactively, I call it weeding and feeding, taking something and saying we have a better approach. So you don't have this over proliferation of SKUs. And that's, that's worked really well for us, where it's really this franchise approach, these holy grail franchises that can build year after year. And then we're always looking at the line and saying, Okay, what can we do to make it more productive? What can we do to, to really Appeal to consumers, and so innovation is really the center of our entire strategy, and it's one of those key drivers of both our productivity model, what our consumers want, and uh, as well as our profitability. We're not, we're like I said, we don't over proliferate SKUs. We focus on these powerhouse franchises, and that's worked for us.
0: I want to take this last uh, question to you and just ask something a little more high level. You know, I think what's on everyone's minds right now is like are we on the brink of a recession? Is this going to be, you know, we've been seeing a pretty marked slowdown in, in U.S. consumer spending and taking a step back. What, what do you think about that? Do you, do you think that that's what's going to happen? Do you think we're on the brink of a recession? And how do you think that's going to affect retail and, and your business?
1: well, i'm I'm hoping for the scenarios on a soft landing and not having a major recession. But you know, our fundamental goal is making the best of beauty accessible. And so, as long as we can continue to deliver that incredible value equation, we're very well positioned in the market, whether it uh, whether there's a recession or not. I feel we can continue to grow. And part of that also confidence I have is all the white space we have. If, if you take a look at our share, I talked about nationally, we're the number three brand. We passed both CoverGirl and Revlon last year. We have about a nine and a half share uh, nationally. We have an 18 share at Target. And the only difference between Target and other customers is they got a head start on ELF by f- five or six years. So I'm quite bullish that we could double our color cosmetic share over the next few years. In skincare, we're one of the fastest growing skincare brands. I think our skincare consumption and track channels last quarter was up 127% relative to the category that was up 6%. So we're seeing this outsized growth and we have a long way to go in terms of what I see in skincare. And then internationally, you know, our international business last quarter grew 79%, and it's primarily off two countries, Canada and the UK. So I'm actually quite bullish, uh, one, because of our value equation and the quality of their products and our marketing engine, but also because we have so many different areas of white space that we can pursue. Uh, I feel um, very bullish, both on the category, but especially on e.l.f.
0: I actually do want to ask one, one other question now that you mentioned it on the international business um, piece of things, because the U.S. market, which is where I primarily spend most of my time, is so different from other markets in both in terms of consumer trends and in terms of consumer preferences. So, you know, as a primarily US based brand that's, you know, done some stuff in Canada and the UK and Europe, where are you seeing the next uh, potential spots for opportunity for for mass beauty really taking off as a category?
1: Well, you know, I think the you know, mass beauty is huge in Western Europe, so that's definitely a focus area of ours. You'll see our brand continue to kind of expand across different countries in Western Europe. I'm also quite bullish on, we have a great business with uh, Nika in India. Uh, Nika is an online beauty retailer. Uh, you know, we went in opportunistically. They had come and approached us and said yeah, Elf was the most requested brand they had on on their platform. And, and we we're like, oh, we're not in India at all, but uh, so they asked us, "Will you, will you come? Will you, will you give us some products? We'll help you do the registrations." And we're one of their fastest-growing brands. And if I look at India uh, as a country, you know, typically that wouldn't be one of the first countries you went to. You'd usually fill out all of Western Europe, and then you'd fill out parts of Asia, then you go to such a big market. But what we find is many of the same things that drove the brand in the U.S. are relevant in India. Uh, they're highly adept on social media in terms of how they're discovering the category. They love value brands. They love brands like ours. So we feel we have huge potential in India. So I think with our international business, you're going to see this combination of what's a logical sequential rollout like we'll do in Western Europe. But then also looking at markets and, you know, particularly where digital helps you leapfrog your normal, having to build up a lot of retail distribution and be able to go direct to consumer. We feel that opens up a lot of the world to us. And I'm quite excited about that as well.
0: Sounds like some big things are on the horizon. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me, Trang. This was great. Is there anything you think I missed or any other questions I, I should have asked you?
1: No. I. You know, the only other one I'd say is I'm, I always end with uh, my pride in the team. And I think one of the big drivers that often doesn't get talked about is uh, is our team. And we have the great luxury. We have 350 employees driving, what, about a seven over a $7 billion market cap company. And we've had the great luxury of hiring 340 out of the 350. And we were quite intentional about what we did. Uh, we Our workforce is over 80% women, over 65% Gen Z and uh, millennial, over 45% diverse. They represent the community we serve. And I think it's a huge competitive advantage that allows us to move really quickly on what are our consumers looking for? All we have to do is look at our employees who are our consumers. And it's not just our employees. Uh, We're also one of only four public companies in the US out of 4,200 that have at least two-thirds women and one-third diverse representation on our board. So I would say the diversity of our team, our high-performance culture, and really having this kind of one-team, one-dream approach has really been, I, I would say, the real secret sauce behind our success.
0: Sure, yeah, and especially in beauty where so much of the consumption is coming from women and you know underrepresented communities increasing their purchasing power, it makes a lot of sense why you've been able to find some of that alignment by having a diverse team. Awesome. Well, you, well, thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Thomas Shum in Hong Kong. You can find more episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Also check out our sister podcast, The Views Room, and check us out at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.
1: I'm Kim Vanell. Join me every morning for a roundup of what's happening at home and around the world. From the front line
0: in Ukraine. Extraordinary how these people adjust and uh, even laugh when you take cover to the heart of US politics. When Trump said that he expected to be arrested, it seems like he was trying to get ahead of the story. We bring you everything you need to know in 10 minutes. For your essential daily briefing, follow Reuters World News wherever
1: you get your podcasts.